1: rather stick your neck out for the truth of the gospel and the message of God's kingdom and thereby find that great reward and knowing both the present and the eternal pleasure of your heavenly father is your life truly a demonstration of the preparation of the second coming of christ you live your life with that anticipation, that there's going to be that second Advent, or are you stuck in that first, meek and mild, child-in-the-manger Advent?
0: Part of Advent is preparing. Preparing for what? Each person needs to prepare their heart for the return of Jesus Christ. The last time you were with us, Pastor David talked about the image of Jesus that we all have, the baby in the manger. We learn that Jesus will not return in the same way that he came. Jesus will return as the righteous and holy judge. The challenge as you listen today will be this question. Have I prepared my heart for the return of Jesus Christ? And here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, Have You Made Preparations?
1: He didn't come in his own direction. No, he came under the direction of the Father. But then we get to verse 4 there in Isaiah 11. Then he goes on to speak of the fact that at his coming, he was going to judge the poor with righteousness. At his coming, he would decide with equity for the meek of the earth. At his coming, catch this, he would strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. At his coming, the breath of his lips will slay the wicked. That didn't happen during his time on earth. That didn't happen at the first advent. That's not how he came, not during his first advent. He didn't come as the judge. He came as that suffering servant. He came as the Savior. And even Jesus himself declares to us in John three seventeen that again, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That's with his first coming. Beloved in his second coming, he does come as judge. So there's obviously got to be the second coming. There's got to be that second advent, and that's what we need to be looking forward to with anticipation. My question to you this morning, are you in preparation, and are you working out the preparation for his second coming? It's so easy to get comfortable where we're at. Oh, Jesus paid it all All to him I owe. And then we just live our lives from there without the anticipation, without the acknowledgement that at any moment his second coming could take place. We're currently living or should be living in a time of preparation. Just as Israel was called to prepare themselves for that first advent, you and I right now, the church and the whole world literally needs to be prepared for that second advent when he comes as judge of the whole world. He's not gonna come as a, as a baby, meek and mild. John Wesley, back in the 1700s, wrote a, a hymn some of you might be familiar with. Some of the words of that hymn were, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child, pity my simplicity, suffer me to come to thee. O Lamb of God, I look to thee. Thou shalt my example be. Thou art gentle, meek, and mild. Thou wast once a little child. Yeah, once a little child. But the unfortunate thing through all eight of the verses that Wesley wrote in that song, Jesus remained a child. He never grew up to the fullness. It was all about the young Jesus, about the baby Jesus. We sing a song today, very familiar probably to every one of us. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky look down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay. While the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Who said no crying he makes? He was a baby. He was a human baby. (laughs) Crying is not a sin. Crying is saying, hey, I'm hungry, or uh, hey, uh, I made a mess. Who's going to take care of this? (laughs) Sorry, he was Jesus, but he was human too, okay? says, I love thee, Lord Jesus. Look down from the sky. Stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Unfortunately, many in the world, and way too many within the church, continue to keep this Jesus in that same way. he, He remains as a baby, meek and mild, or perhaps some have allowed him to grow up and unfortunately they leave him on the cross, continually crucified. Beloved He was crucified once and for all for our sin. Never need to be crucified again. It is a completed work. He is now a risen Savior, and he's not coming again, babe in a manger, as a suffering servant, as that perfect sacrifice for man. No, when he comes again, he's coming as the reigning king. He's coming as a judge of the whole world. So my question is, is have you made preparation? Have you made preparation? Number one, do you know him? Do you know that your sin is forgiven? Do you know that if, and or not if, but when he comes, you'll be ready for his coming? Are you prepared for it? Can you imagine somebody showing up at your house to make tamales and you come up and, oh, well, I haven't started yet. I haven't cooked the meat yet. I haven't even gone out to buy the masa yet. No, we don't have any corn husk. I heard they're sold out here in town. You wanted to make tamales, but nobody made preparation for it. The the people would say, forget it. I'm going to go someplace else. When Jesus comes. Have you made preparation? He is coming again. When King Solomon wrote Psalm 72, turn over there with me if you would. We read this also this morning, at least the first few verses. When he wrote that psalm, he wrote it uh, actually uh, about himself as the king and about the king's son. But what Solomon probably didn't understand is he was actually writing with a deeper prophetic meaning, way, way deeper than anything Solomon could ever accomplish. You see, fact is, is none of the things here in this psalm have yet to happen, nor, nor even could take place completely with an earthly king, no matter how good of a king they were. It's only in the coming of that great king eternal where we find the scenario being completely fulfilled. And just as the prophetic setting of Isaiah 11, here in Psalm 72, Solomon wrote of a future time of enduring and lasting peace. He wrote that that peace would last as long as the sun and the moon endured throughout all generations. That hasn't happened yet, has it? We look at Psalm 72, he says, again, the, the mountains, uh, verse 3 says, the mountains will bring peace to the people in the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy. He will break in pieces the oppressors. They shall fear you as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish, and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Beloved, that hasn't happened yet. I don't know if you've noticed or not. Actually, the world is against Christ. It seems like with every year it gets more and more that way, and the line is being, becoming drawn more and more defined and clear. No earthly king is going to bring all of this about Solomon. Solomon, no matter how wise he was, could have done all of this. I believe that Psalm 72 clearly speaks about the millennial reign of Christ, that thousand-year reign of Christ that follows immediately after his second coming. In the same way, and in reference to the, the, the same time frame as what we see here in Psalm 72, it was Isaiah who wrote there in chapter 11, those words It says that a wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with a young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze and their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw just like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Let me ask you, how many of you are ready right now to let your young child play in a, in a, in a snake's nest or near, near, near the hole of a, of a snake? No. Why? Because this hasn't taken place yet. Oh, but Messiah has come. Yes, he came as the suffering servant, the sacrifice. But he will come again as the reigning king. And in his reign, there will be that peace, there will be that enduring peace. I'm sorry, but I don't care who the king or who the president might be, whether he's Republican, Democrat, independent, or green. It's not humanly possible for a human king to do this. It's truly a God thing, and only he can and will bring about that day that follows this great judgment. And again, that kind of peace comes only after, as Psalm 72 declares, when he comes, he will judge people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people in the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people after he saves the children of the needy and breaks into pieces the oppressors. The problem is that first Advent, and it's not really a problem, but it's just the reality of it. At the first Advent, he didn't break into pieces the oppressors, the oppressors crucified him. So you see, there's got to be that second coming. Have you made preparation? Are you ready for that? Are you living your life today with an anticipation of the second coming of Christ? Oh, I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe that at any moment, at any day, we could be taken out of here. And you know what? For you and I that, uh, that know Christ, there's no prophecy that needs to take place prior to the rapture of the church. But you know what? Along with the rapture, after that does come the second coming. And so are you ready for the taking of the church? And do you know that those loved ones, uh, those family members, those neighbors, those co-workers, are they prepared for that second coming? Truly, His coming is, second coming is exactly as John the Baptist declared as we looked at in Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist declared these words, that his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You see, the judgment is coming. Baby Jesus, meek and mild, was only in that crib for a short time. He offered himself as a sacrifice already. That's a done deal. He comes this next time, as John says, with that winnowing fork in his hand. John the Baptist came as that voice of one crying in the wilderness. He came out crying out to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He cried out and declared, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And as you can imagine, that wasn't a very popular message. By and large, people don't like to have the status quo messed with. Change at any time for anyone is, it usually kind of sets them off kilter. People don't want to be put on the spot, particularly by some shaggy-haired, clothed-in-camel-skin, locust-breath prophet. But you know what? Even if he's got a suit and a tie on, people don't like to hear those kinds of things. Most people don't want to be pushed into making preparations. As a matter of fact, these spiritual preparations, you can't push anyone. You can't force them to make preparation. The message needs to be declared. The importance of the message, the reality of the truth of his coming, and the reality and the truth of the coming of judgment, that needs to be made, that needs to be declared. But by and large, people don't want to stop long enough to recognize that their lives are a mess that they're living in sin, that they've made bad choices, that they've not lived up to their commitments, that they've cut God out of their lives and they're living totally for the flesh. People don't want to be reminded of that. People don't want those sins pointed out in their lives. Do you know what? It's when we recognize our sin that we realize our great need for a Savior. It's when we recognize that in our sin there is great consequences to our sin. Perhaps it most often here in this present world but for certain in the world that's yet to come and god has taken upon himself through sending christ in human flesh those eternal consequences for our sin but until people realize hey i am a sinner in great need of a savior until they recognize that fact they'll never call on christ to forgive their sin oh, I just want a loving God. I want a baby Jesus, meek and mild. I want the the friend of sinners. I don't really need the sacrifice. Yes, you do. We all do. Because if we don't, again, adhere to, claim, receive that sacrifice, then when he comes the second time, he comes as king and judge. As a matter of fact, Malachi Last book of the Old Testament. You can turn there with me if you would. Last book of the Old Testament. Malachi, one of those prophets that that John the Baptist would have been very familiar with. And Malachi spoke of the reality of the promise of the coming of Messiah. He was warning the people to make preparation, to get ready. He was actually the last prophet to speak in the Old Testament. And that was 400 years before John the Baptist was even born. Malachi's message in chapter 3, look at that if you would. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. His message is so clear and so distinct. And this is where John the Baptist is getting his message from. Listen to what Malachi wrote. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as the refiner and the purifier of silver." He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. I believe that John the Baptist understood that he himself was that forerunner, that that messenger that was going to come before him the messenger of Malachi's prophecy. I believe that he understood the urgency of the hour, and so he spoke with this boldness, with this audacity that, again, that that a lot of people weren't accustomed to hearing, and they weren't ready to hear. Oh, sure, a lot of them came down to him to be baptized there in the Jordan, but you need to understand there are multiple of thousands and hundreds of thousands simply stood on the shore and watched watched it happen were never apart. part, never took part of, again, that repentance of sin. There was a fearlessness about John's preaching because he knew the people needed to make preparation. I love the words of a, of a woman by the name of Caroline Lewis. She's a, a Bible teacher and a writer. She speaks about the problem with today's churches and today's Christians is that we've simply decided in favor of blandness rather than boldness. We've decided in favor of living our lives in harmlessness instead of audaciousness. We want evenness rather than fearlessness. You might say, oh sure, you you don't see where that kind of preaching that John the Baptist, you don't see where that got John. They, they took his head off. They, they killed him for that kind of speech. Well, that's true, but the problem is that's only partially true. There's a lot more to the story. Yes, he lost his fleshly life. He lost his temporary life because they took his head off because of his preaching, because of his continual declaration of what sin is and the consequences of sin. But in addition to losing his physical life, You need to understand that John also gained the place of great favor where it mattered the most, the kingdom of heaven, great favor. In reference to John the Baptist, Jesus declared, man, among women, there's there's none that are greater than John the Baptist. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I don't know about you, but that's pretty impressive to have Jesus say, Among those that are born of women, there's none better, there's none greater than John the Baptist. So let me ask you, would you rather save your head and walk in blandness and obscurity? Would you rather save your head and account for nothing within the kingdom of God? Would you rather save your life and try to walk at peace and ease among the people of this world and and, and make absolutely no impact in this temporal plane. You see, the message of the hope of the gospel doesn't come just from pulpits like this. The message of the hope of the gospel and the reality of the truth of God's word comes from pulpits like you. From the words of your mouth. The actions of your life. Because, beloved, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the lost are not beaten down the door to get into the church. They're the ones that are your next door neighbors. They're the ones that, when you gather together as family members, they're sitting across the table with you. They're the ones that you work with. They're the ones that you play with. They're the ones that you know. And you are the messenger of the gospel because what has taken place in your life is what they need to hear. The hope that is within you is what the lost and dying world needs to hear. And when we come into this place, hopefully it's a time and it's a place of encouraging and strengthening and equipping you to be what the Word of God says ministers of the gospel. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's why we come together. We together are the saints and when we walk out these doors we are the ministers of God to a lost and dying world. Would you rather stick your neck out for the truth of the gospel and the message of God's kingdom and thereby find that great reward and knowing both the present and the eternal pleasure of your heavenly Father? Is your life truly a demonstration of the preparation of the second coming of Christ? You live your life with that anticipation that there's going to be that second advent? Or are you stuck in that first meek and mild child in the manger advent? Listen, to help you understand, I, I believe in celebrating. I, I, I enjoy Christmas. I enjoy the time of getting together with family and friends. I love the celebration. But beloved, that is only the first part of a two part work of God. The first part was the coming as sacrifice. The second part is the coming as judge. Have you made preparation?
0: Jesus was the long-foretold Savior who many believed would conquer the physical world and reign as king. But his inconspicuous arrival didn't lend itself to that at all. Jesus came into the world as an innocent and tiny baby. While he did grow up to conquer an enemy, it wasn't who the world expected. Jesus took on the greatest enemy of all, the creator of evil and sin. As we continue to study the events surrounding the beginning of Jesus' life here on earth, we hope you see him in a new way and allow him to change you from the inside out. If Pastor David's message today on the open word has been a blessing to you, we'd like to hear from you. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. This Christmas, we'd like to encourage you to take some time to invest in a community of believers. If you haven't yet found a church and you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you.
1: Hey, thanks, Chris. This is Pastor David. And if you haven't found a church and you're in the Casa Grande area, please accept this special invitation to you. I'd love to meet you in person here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande as our community of believers comes together every week to support each other, to pray for each other, and to spend time learning from the Bible. I hope you have the opportunity to join us for this celebration of our Savior. Please come and find me, introduce yourself, and consider yourself invited. Merry Christmas, and may the fullness of Christ direct you for this coming new year.
0: You'll find more information about Calvary Chapel Casa Grande at theopenword.com. That's all we have for today. Join Pastor David for another teaching from God's Word right here on The Open Word. Make us